0: My name's Tom, Jr., and I'm an alcoholic. Every time I get up in front of lights like this, I get very nervous, and it takes me back to a time when I was in the psycho ward, and I was in one several times, this time for a period of three and a half months. And the doctor decided that I would be a good sample case for everybody to study. I had been diagnosed, by the way, not as alcoholic but as manic-depressive. And he put me on a stage in this room, in front of about 500 doctors, psychiatrists, nurses, etc. And that's the most nervous time I've ever had in my life. If you can imagine that with all eyes focused on you. And you sitting there in a bathrobe that's too big because it was a veteran's hospital, pajamas that you had to tie around your waist because they don't fit and everybody's sitting staring at you. And as an alcoholic, I was always a little paranoid anyway. I already felt like everybody was staring at me and now it was real. You know, 500 of them. We're going to talk this morning about prayer and meditation. I guess the best example of prayer, one of the funniest I've ever heard in my life, how many of you folks are from North Carolina? Okay, you know where the sand hills are. There was a story told about this little boy that lived down in the sand hills of North Carolina. And every day, those of you who are not from North Carolina, this is an area that's flat, sandy pine forest. As far as you can see, they're long-leaf tall pine trees. And this little boy had a habit of going out in the woods every day and playing. And every single day, the sun would start going down and he would be lost. And every day they'd have to send out a search party to find this little kid out in the woods. And one particular day after they found him, he came home and his mother said to him, Johnny, next time you're out in the woods and you're lost, get out on your knees and ask God to show you your way out, and he will. So the very next day he's out in the woods and he's playing, and. It starts getting dark, and he realized he couldn't shimmy up one of those pine trees to find his way home, and he was getting a little frightened, and he remembered what his mother said. And he got down on his knees and very reverently said, Lord, I'm lost, and I want you to show me by some sign how to get out of here. Amen. And he got up and held his hand out here, and nothing happened, and he held it back here, and nothing happened, and held it over here, and nothing happened, and he, he held it out front, and a bird flew over and dropped something in his hand. And he looked at it, shook it off, got back down on his knees and very reverently said, Lord, don't hand me no crap, I'm really lost. (laughs) That's a good example of the kind of praying I used to do. I always wanted a sign, the kind of sign that I wanted, pointed in the direction I wanted it to go, on my timetable, give me this by next Tuesday and this by next Thursday, and this please by 3 o'clock this afternoon. I generally said please because I was afraid of the higher power that I then believed in. So we're going to get into prayer and meditation this morning and what each one of them is and how they work together for our sobriety. Remember, please, every time you hear me talk, I'm an alcoholic. Next month will mark 16 years without a drink. Not because I'm so great, but because there is a power which is operative in my life, which has done for me what I never could have done for myself. I am also not a holy man or a guru, nor am I religious, but I still maintain that a higher power is doing for me what I could never have done for myself. I will not tell you to do something that I have not done myself, ever. Prayer and meditation are probably two of the most important elements in sobriety. Because without the proper and consistent practice of prayer and meditation, there will be no real chance of recovery from alcoholism for any of us. And there are some very good reasons why I say this. Let's look at them. From what you've learned about alcoholism here so far, and from your own experience as alcoholics, you should have learned that the central problem in the illness is a loss of power, especially where alcohol is concerned. You don't have the power to choose how much you'll drink when you start drinking, and neither did I. And we don't have the power to choose even when we will drink, because of this mental obsession that we have with alcohol. We have no power over our behavior, and consequently our lives become unmanageable. We are out of control. Our behavior conflicts with our values, and we develop a tremendous sense of worthlessness and persistent feelings of guilt, of being wrong, always being wrong, never being able to do what you want to do, always doing what you don't want to do. This is a life story of an alcoholic. It seems that we get caught up in this vicious circle, we alcoholics. Why? I believe that somehow, through some unconscious processes, our receivers have been turned off. Our power receivers have been turned off. So that the necessary power to choose what I want to do and do it and what I don't want to do and not do it is just not coming in. I don't know how they define sanity for you here at Charlotte Treatment Center, but let me give you another point of view. Any person whose intelligence and will have been affected to the point where he or she can no longer recognize what's good for him and do it and what's bad for him and not do it, Is insane. So insanity, you see, has something directly to do with a loss of power. Insanity, more than anything else, is not a mental concept. It's very much a spiritual concept. It has to do with being separated from something you cannot be separated from and live normally healthy, happy lives. It cannot be. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but there's a tremendous breakdown of intelligence and will in the alcoholic. Intelligence and will. So that we're without power to live in accordance with our values and our beliefs and be the kind of people we want to be. Which of us wanted to be an alcoholic? Which of us chose it? I didn't. But when I became one, I found out that I had lost something. And I couldn't find it. And that something was direction and power for my life. Now, I would suggest to you that what separates you from the power is selfishness. Selfishness. Marked by self-centered behavior, and it's cut us off from the power source. And I'd suggest to you, too, that unless you stop being selfish somehow... Stop trying to run the show. Stop trying to change reality to fit you. There is simply no way to regain the necessary power. We've learned, too, that our human resources, including our own so-called willpower, have failed utterly to restore the power which we lack. Many of us receive the best help available from counselors, ministers, psychiatrists, friends to no avail. And many of us have used every ounce of strength and will that we had in an effort to manage our lives, to drink like other people, to control our drinking, not to drink at all. And we have failed. And these failures by ourselves and by other people to help us should convince us of our bankruptcy as human beings, our total inability to solve our ever-growing problem through any human means. What I'm suggesting to you is use your logic. Use your logic. If I cannot get well on my own, if with the help of other human beings I cannot get well on my own, does it not stand up to logic that I must have a power greater than human? I think it does. That's the reason one philosopher said that if there were no God, it would be necessary that we invent one. And I believe that. So neither my friends or your friends or your counselors or ministers or doctors can praise the kind of power we need in order to overcome our problem. I'll tell you something else. It's not even fair to ask them to do it. We've been to doctors and psychiatrists, haven't we, and counselors, and said to them, in effect, fix me. Fix me. You have all those degrees. You have all those medications. God bless us all with the medications. Fix me. That's not fair on our part. So I think we have to find some power which can change our lives. And I think it's obvious that it has to be a power which is greater than human. Maybe you want to think about this some more later. It fits logic. Now this brings us to a real point we want to make, and it's this. Prayer and meditation are the means through which we contact and relate to the power greater than ourselves. Prayer and meditation are the means through which we contact and relate to a power greater than ourselves. One preacher put it this way, and this is what I call a cooking-type preacher. He knows what's going on with people. He realizes that he is a person like everyone else. And he says prayer is the place where we get in touch with God and God's power. God's power is always there. As there is always potential electricity in a wire that's plugged into a socket that's in touch with a dynamo. But you don't get the power until you close the circuit by turning the switch. Prayer, he says, turns on the switch, opens up the power by closing the circuit. Real simple. Prayer on the switch. In his own way, this clergyman says that it's prayer that turns our receivers back on, so that the channel is restored and the power begins once again to flow. Now, in our study so far, we've continually stressed the undeniable fact that our outer behavior is the direct result of our inner state of being. This is something I always stress. The inner self, the character, always produces the outer behavior. It is never the other way around. And if we want to recover from alcoholism, if we want the outer behavior of just drinking to stop and stay stopped, then we have to change our inner selves. That's the key. Change of the inner self. And prayer and meditation are the tools with which we can change our character. I don't know how many of you have ever read anything by Emmett Fox a great metaphysical writer of the late 1800s and early 1900s. I want to quote you something from him. He said, In the absence of prayer, all that you can do is express the character that you have. So much is this the case that most of your friends would be prepared to predict beforehand what your conduct would be in various kinds of crises that might arise. Prayer, by changing your character, makes a new reaction possible. Are there some people in your life that you know so well that when you know that if a certain thing happens to that person, you know exactly what that person's going to do? How many people out there were like me? How many of you got drunk at people when you got mad at them? How many of you became, as, as, as it were, puppets in the hands of other people? They acted, we reacted. They acted, we reacted. No control. We were living a reactive life. I know lots of people who could predict my behavior in any situation, because any time I was upset or any time things were going too good, I was going to get drunk, one way or the other. Spiritual teachers and clergymen are not the only ones who see and acknowledge the necessity and the effectiveness of prayer and meditation in changing character. Abraham Maslow, one of the most eminent psychologists who ever lived wrote of the need for a kind of contemplative interaction, he called it. Psychologists don't talk about prayer and meditation. They talk about contemplative interaction. Just like they don't talk about God, they talk about the integrating core of the personality. They're saying the same thing. This is psychological language. Contemplative action, he said, is necessary if we're going to function fully as human beings. And all of us must be aware of the increasing attention which has been given to meditation in the past few years by the scientific community. And all of the scientific data that's been gathered that supports the idea that prayer and meditation are healing influences, are influences which do indeed change the inner self so that the outer behavior can change. <coughs> the evidence is overwhelming in favor of prayer and meditation, And yet we look at it as if it were some ethereal thing that monks do in monasteries and gurus do in the East. And as strange people walk the earth and talk about. It. it's not strange, it's not ethereal. It's not otherworldly. It is very practical prayer and meditation. Now prayer and meditation are different sides of the same coin, so to speak. You see, strictly speaking, meditation is a form of prayer. Because the word prayer should be understood as including any form of communication or attempted communication with a higher power, whether vocal or purely mental. And it includes meditation. But although meditation is a form of prayer, its purpose and its application are quite different. Prayer usually involves some petition to God. Meditation involves thinking about God and your relationship to him. In prayer, in other words, we address God. We speak to him, either silently or out loud. And in meditation, we address our attention to God. We reflect on him and our relationship to him. By the way, don't let my use of the word God throw you. If you'd rather say Yahweh or Adonai or Elohim or Amon Ra, call it what you want to. I have a friend that calls God Ralph. You know? And he has a very good life. Very good line. Meditation is a tool which we use to learn more about the power greater than ourselves, regardless of what we call it. That's the tool. Now, prayer and meditation work together, very closely together, to achieve certain purposes. One purpose of prayer and meditation and I'll put this in quotes, feed the soul. Prayer and meditation feed the soul. It seems that the soul needs to be fed just as the body needs to be fed or the mind needs to be fed. If you don't believe this, think back on your own life and think of those points in time when you have felt absolutely empty. Devoid of any feeling, devoid of any thought, sitting around saying, What is the use? Life means nothing. And tell me that you weren't starving in your soul. Prayer and meditation feed the soul. Those of us who have come to use prayer and meditation wouldn't do without it any more than we would food for our bodies or food for our minds, our intellects. It is necessary. One authority said that meditation is of great importance. Repeated concentration of the mind, listen, fills the memory with ideas and causes spiritual feeling to suffuse the entire being, conscious and subconscious. Prayer feeds the soul. And if you don't feed your beliefs also, Those of you who, like I, are believers and always have been, if you don't feed it, it'll starve. A second purpose is that the regular practice of prayer and meditation builds something that most of us don't like. Prayer and meditation build discipline. Prayer and meditation not only feeds our soul, it disciplines our soul or spirit. It disciplines our minds. The attention required by meditation and the request made in prayer focus our attention more than anything else on two things, what's important to us and what we believe is true, our values and our beliefs. We focus our attention on our values and beliefs. What's important for me to do today? What do I believe is true about this person or that person? And the more attention you give to your values and your beliefs, the more Uh, more actively you're going to follow those values and beliefs. You're going to tend to live by what you give your attention to. The third purpose, and this should be obvious, of prayer and meditation, is communication with higher power. Third purpose of prayer and meditation. In prayer we talk to God. In meditation, He imparts information to us. That's right. With words. I don't know about you, I've never been spoken to directly, verbally, out loud, by any higher power. History shows there are some men who were spoken to in this way. I'm not one of those. God has never spoken to me with words. But in the stillness and serenity and quietness of meditative reflection, I have gained much knowledge that was not there before. And I cannot explain it to you. It just comes. I know many things today that I did not know 16 years ago. I didn't read them in a book, and nobody told them to me. A fourth purpose is to improve our conscious contact with God. You know, the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, says, deep down within every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. Deep down, unconscious, subconscious. Prayer brings it out of the depths and into the consciousness." So that you become more aware, yes, there's a God. Yes, I'm related to him. Yes, what he wants of me is important. To make it conscious, what has always been there unconsciously, and we'll get back to that in just a minute. Prayer and meditation are the principal means. Everyone in this room has the power within himself or herself to raise the consciousness above the limitations of the physical senses and actually transcend space and time. Sounds far out, doesn't it? You don't believe me? Close your eyes for a minute and put yourself on the beach. Go on. Close your eyes. Put yourself on the beach. Walk down the beach. Listen very closely. Look very closely. Can you see the seagulls? Can you hear the ocean? Can you even feel the sand between your toes as you walk, if you do this long enough? You can. You can transcend space or time. That's our nature. And prayer is the means through which we do this. Transcend it. Go above it. And the main purpose of prayer, in my estimation, is to gain what we need from God. screwy ideas about what we need, I'd like to suggest to you this morning that what we need from God are two things, and two things only, the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. Two things, the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. It boils down to this for us alcoholics. If we're to live sober lives, we've got to know what to do, and we've got to have the power to do it. We've got to know what to do, and we've got to have the power to do it. And since up until this time, our knowledge has not been sufficient, and our power has been non-existent, we need these things from God. We need precisely these things from God. The man Jesus, when he was here, gave us a model prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he followed with a statement. "Thy will be done, thy kingdom come which could be translated, grant me the knowledge of your will for my life and the power to carry it out. In Alcoholics Anonymous, we're instructed in the eleventh step of the program to pray only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. Why? Because it's all we need. It's all we need. Now, there are some essential requirements which you've got to meet in order for prayer and meditation to have any effect at all. Some of this is brand new to you. Please try to listen to these requirements. First, you have to be willing to give it a fair and determined try. You have to be open-minded in your acceptance of it and honest in your practice of it. Now, in AA, we would call that again, we have requirements for a prayer to have a Maximum effect and meditation, honesty, open-mindedness, willingness. Second, you should set aside a certain time each day for prayer and med- meditation, for your major effort at prayer and meditation. If it's going to be a part of your daily life, it should have a definite place in your daily schedule. It's just that simple. Too many of us pray only as an afterthought, or pray when we have nothing else to do, and most of us pray only when we're in trouble. And if you'll set aside a time each day for an appointment with God, that's what I call it, an appointment with God, you'll find it will add the element of discipline and will come to be more and more meaningful to you. Morning seems to be the best time for most people to make the major effort at prayer and meditation simply because they're rested, relaxed, and calm. If an alcoholic waits 30 minutes after he gets up to do his prayer and meditation, most of us are already overwhelmed with the day's problems and going in circles. In the big book it suggests, Upon Awakening, early in the morning, take a time. With me it's before my children get up. Because when they get up, that's all she wrote. And the first thing I do every morning is head downstairs at a certain time for my appointment with God. Now, because I'm a holy man, it's gotten to be a matter of routine with me. It's a daily part of my life. I do it just like I eat my meals or take a shower with a schedule. Okay, third requirement, take a place. To do your prayer and meditation. Now, obviously, you mothers don't want to do it in the kitchen when everybody's running back and forth looking for clothes and things like that and wanting you to cook breakfast. Just won't do. It. Pick a spot that's quiet and usually safe from distraction or interruption. Having a definite place to meditate and pray adds to the effectiveness of it, and you're not going to know why this is true until you start doing it. Now, The experts and the practitioners of the art of prayer and meditation say that time and place are vital. It's come to the point that at 6 o'clock in the morning when I go downstairs into my basement den and sit in that big overstuffed chair by that same table and have a cup of coffee, as soon as I sit in that chair, something happens to me. It's my place. It's my time. I know what I'm there for. And it's almost instantaneous relaxation when I hit that spot. Okay. Another requirement. You have to have a definite method of prayer and meditation. A definite method of prayer and meditation. There are many methods which might fit your needs. And there are also many, many helpful books on the subject. Let me warn you, please. Seek the guidance from somebody whose judgment you respect before you choose any method of prayer and meditation. Many of the greatest books in the world can be the worst books in the world if read at the wrong time. Remember that we're beginners in this thing, and we need a beginner's method, and we need advice, and we need guidance. And some of these books and some of these methods are definitely not suited for beginners. Now, I'll tell you how I started. I hate to tell you this, but I overdo everything. And when I decided really to get into prayer and meditation, I contacted a friend in Texas who I knew was deeply into it, and the effect was obvious on his life. And I said, what books do I read? And he gave me a whole list. And how do I go about the practice of prayer and meditation? And he told me. Okay? I picked out one book. It was a thing called The Cloud of Unknowing, written by a fellow named Dionysius the Areopagite. That should have told me enough right there. And I got into this book, and it was written in Middle English. And this was a man who had practiced prayer and meditation all of his life, and I got into a particular practice of it, and I got scared to death. And I called my friend in a panic, and I told him what was happening to me. And he said, how long are you praying and meditating every morning? I said, an hour to two hours? He said, I thought so. He said, I've been at it eight or ten years now, and I never go over ten minutes. And he said, that book is too hard for you. Put it away. Put it away. Remember that you're a beginner. With the proper guidance, you can find a simple method which will meet your needs and achieve your purposes. I'm going to suggest the method to you toward the end of this lesson. Very simple. The fifth thing, fifth requirement, after you've become honestly willing and open-minded, set aside a time and place, and have a method, you must do what is the most important thing, practice. Do it. If I had to put my finger on one reason why most alcoholics cannot maintain sobriety, it would be because they are lazy. They're simply not willing to do the work that's required. And you say to an alcoholic, you must be lazy. No, not me. I have a job. I've had it for 25 years. I work 40 to 80 hours a week. I'm always on time. I put in overtime. I have a little night job. I have a little weekend job. How can you call me lazy? Well, you're an alcoholic, aren't you? Yeah. Haven't seen you at a meeting in two weeks. Are you reading anything in the big book? Are you praying every day? No. And you're lazy? Laziness is the opposite of love. Laziness. you got to practice anything if you want to get good at it. Might be baseball, might be golf, might be cooking, might be prayer and meditation. Man's practice. Now, we've given you a lot of information so far about prayer and meditation. But let's go a little more specifically into it. Let's get this microphone back on. What is prayer? Somebody give me an answer. Don't be afraid. What is it to you? Say, Pardon? Contact with a higher power. Anyone else? okay let's start with that one powerful proponent of prayer has said something about it that you may never have thought and I quote him quote prayer obviously is an instinct the deepest of all the act of praying he said is built into us far below the level of language and conceptual thought it's in our very cells. you ever thought about that it's instinctual some of you might not believe that let me ask you a question The last time you were coming off a drunk and you were hurting like only alcoholics can hurt and all the stops were out and the world was caving in and you knew you couldn't drink and you couldn't quit and you couldn't do anything you wanted to do, what did you do? That's right. You cried out to God. Every human being will do that. Why? Did we have to think about it? No, it's kind of automatic, isn't it? It's built in. It's instinctual. Prayer is a part of us. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. It comes with the package. Now, this very lowest level of all prayer, the God help me prayer, the scream for help, is the lowest level of all prayer. But it's very important for this reason. All of you have prayed that way. All of you have. At some time in your life. And the fact that you prayed that way serves to prove that you believe that communication with a higher power is possible. Else, why did you do it? So you believe in prayer. That might shock some of you. Now, this is an unconscious emergency type of prayer. It's a good prayer. It has its place. But this is not the time t- type of prayer we're talking about for daily practice. Now, let's get an idea of what daily practical prayer is. One of my friends has been in Alcoholics Anonymous for some 38 years. When he was asked what was prayer, he said it's simple, it's a child talking to his father. His old timers do get it down simple. It's a child talking to his father. So it's a matter of communication. So the definition of prayer, you know, that that I'm kind of going to get around this morning, is prayer is the conscious act of communicating with a higher power. The conscious act of communicating with a higher power. And many people say, how do you pray? How you pray depends largely on your conception of God. (laughs) You know? You don't have to pray the way I pray, or the way your best friend prays. It depends on what kind of God you're praying to. You communicate with the different people in your life in different ways according to that person's nature. I suggest you communicate with God in the same way. The only thing that God ever said about himself that is on record anywhere was, I am. And he left the predicate off. Put your own predicate in there. I am what? I am Father. I am Principal. I am God. I am Almighty. I am Power. Pick one. He left it up to us. People think AA is strange because they say choose your own conception of God. Not strange. These words were supposed to come out of the mouth of God himself. All he said is I am. And what I am is up to you. That's implicit. You pray to the kind of God that you believe in. If you belong to a certain religious denomination whose theology requires you to pray in a certain way to a certain kind of God, do it. If you're comfortable with it and at the risk of sounding like a heretic if you're not comfortable with it scrap it and find a way that you are comfortable with I don't think God is a respecter of theology I think theology has done more than anything to kill God tried to make him into an object a thing and it Nietzsche wasn't far off base when he said God was dead and most people quote that and say, the old nut, he died in an insane asylum. He sure did, but they didn't finish out the sentence. Nietzsche said God is dead because his love for man has killed him. Pray the way it feels good to you. Be spontaneous in it. If rigid set prayers are not your thing, don't do it. Choose a conception of God and pray to it. Any conception you have will do. What do you ask for? We've already suggested knowledge of His will and the power to carry it out. And it's suggested to us in the great prayers of this world that we always pray for ourselves and others, never for ourselves alone. Notice that you can talk to God about anything. Talk to Him about anything you want to. But we request only knowledge knowledge and power how does this work you got this great overwhelming problem sit down and talk your problem out with the higher power you believe in talk it out tell him how you feel about it grammar isn't important truth is tell him how you feel about it and then say I have this problem grant me the knowledge of your will and the power to carry it out as it relates to this problem show me what to do with it and give me the power to do it Talk to him about anything. There are good reasons why we pray for only knowledge of his will and the power to carry it out. Let me give you a couple. Have you ever stopped to realize that God knows exactly what your needs are before you ever ask him? You can tell him about them if you want to, and that's perfectly all right. But that doesn't change the fact that he knows what we need before we tell him what we need. I mean, after all. He is the higher power. Second reason we pray only for knowledge and power is that God wants to fill our needs. He knows what they are, and he wants to fill them. Unless the sanest elements of mankind were real crackpots, a part of God's intention or his will is to see that I and you have everything we need. Everything. In the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, page 133, it says we're sure that God wants us to be happy and joyous. That's his intention. He knows our needs and he wants to fill them. Now all we have to do then if he knows and wants to fill them is to pray for the knowledge of how to go about getting them and the power to carry it out. I hope you can see that. That idea is too simple for most people. And it's right here that most people get into trouble. We think we know better than God what our needs are and how to fill them. So we make up a shopping list. And we demand that he fill the order in the way we want it filled. This kind of playing is called outlining. And it never works. The person who plays in this way, you see, is actually playing God. He is telling a higher power what to do. Now, whatever God is, and whatever He isn't, I am perfectly sure. That he is not a clerk in the universal supermarket. The man who steadfastly prays, or the woman who steadfastly prays, for the knowledge of God's will and lives according to that knowledge to the best of his or her ability, will find that what God wants for him or her is exactly what he or she have always wanted for themselves what God wants for us is exactly what we want for ourselves I never believe that never believe that but I can stand in front of you this morning and say I'm not rich you know but there's nothing that I need that I don't have or I'm not going to get and I'm perfectly sure of that and the walls may cave in around me you know and the problems may overwhelm me but deep inside of me today is a certainty. And it goes like this. It's gonna be all right. It's gonna be all right. Ain't hey, that stupid? That's the way it is now. I have come to believe. So can you. You want freedom for yourself, peace of mind, and happiness. That's what God wants. You think He wants you to be sad and suffering and hurting and crazy? I don't believe that. The basic problem with us is we don't realize that God wants totally good things for us. And we don't give him time. Or even an opening to come in. We're too busy setting things up. Now God's way of filling my needs often seems very strange to me. You know? Terry can tell you about one having to do with the job I'm on now. I got terribly sick. Didn't I, Terry? But I ended up in a job that I loved, which was precisely what I prayed for. Strange, the way he goes about things. Now, here's the deal with God. God gives us the knowledge and the power. We do the work. One more time. W-O-R-K. We do the work. That's the relationship. God will not fix you anymore than that doctor, or psychiatrist, or counselor, or minister, or friend. Okay? This is a cooperative deal. Like Chuck Chamberlain says, I believe it's my job to live this day the best I can possibly live it, and it's God's job to take care of me while I do it. That's the relationship. I was in a grind-out place for alcoholics one time, and it was a religious home for alcoholics. And the treatment there, If you're fussing about the treatment here, the treatment there was that I chopped wood because we only had a wood stove, and I chopped wood eight to ten hours a day. Then we had preaching on Tuesday night, Thursday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and testimonies in between. You ought to hear a bunch of drunks testify. Man, that's something. It really is. Everybody had to out-testify the other one, and every damn one of us was lying. (laughs) And we had a little guy there about this tall, and his name was Louis. And Lewis had a speech impediment And I'm not making fun This is just Lewis I'm telling you about And the man that ran the place, you know Was a very good man But, but not practical You know, his head was in the cloud And Lewis went into his office one day And the man's name was Mr. Best And, and Lewis said, Mr. Best He said, we better buy some tomato plants If we're going to have any tomatoes And Mr. Best smiled and said Lewis, just have faith and pray Lewis went about a week Came back in Mr. Best office and said Mr. Best Said we better get some Tomato plants We want to have some Tomatoes Mr. Best just smiled And said Lewis Have faith and pray Lewis looked at him Turned around and walked out About a week later He came back Mr. Best We just Gotta have some Tomato plants And we're going to have Some tomatoes. Same smile And he said Lewis Just have faith And pray Lewis looked at him Looked up at him. He was a little short fellow. He said, my, my, Listen this. He said, You can b- 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 play your ass off, but if you don't b- b- buy some tomato plants, we'll have no damn tomatoes. <laughs> now, that's the deal. Ask God for the knowledge and power. You do the work. You get the tomato plants. You put them in the ground. That's the deal. Now, meditation is relaxed thought about a higher power and your relation to it notice the word relaxed thought about a higher power and your relation to it all forms of meditation no matter secular or religious have this as one of their objects relaxed thought about the divine human relationship let me point out here too when we start talking about spiritual things many people especially many alcoholics think only about God you know? Spirituality means relationships. You can't leave out people. Spirituality means my relationship to you, your relationship to me. And we go off and storm the gates of heaven anytime anyone mentions spirituality. And if we read the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, very closely, we find that God is present where two human beings are present. And one Jewish philosopher, Martin Buber. That if a man does not relate to his brother There is not room for God and him In the same room Don't make the mistake of thinking Spiritual way of life means Tripping across the cloud with God Almighty It doesn't It means practical, gutsy, everyday living Relating to your brother And relating to your sister In love Treating them like people Instead of things Loving them instead of manipulating them And using them Hugging them instead of criticizing them. That's spiritual. There are also many forms of meditation. Be very careful. Now, here's the way these two things work together. Meditation gives you a vision of what it is you need to do. And prayer requests the means to do it. See that? Another way. Meditation, we reflect and gain knowledge. In prayer, we request the tool to carry out the work. See, meditation is a form of listening and prayer is talking. That's what it really comes down to. Now, they supplement one another, they fulfill one another, because meditation tells you what you must do, and prayer requests the means to do it. And we want to suggest to you this morning a very simple way or method of prayer and meditation. Remember that we've said you've got to give it an open-minded, honest try. You've really got to be willing to do this thing, and you have yourself a time and a place. Now, (coughs) practice of prayer and meditation really falls into three distinct time periods the way we're going to put it out, in the morning, during the day, and at night. The major effort of prayer and meditation should take place in the morning for the reasons we've already given you. And it helps us to start the day on the right foot. Prayer and meditation during the day help to deal with problems when they come up. Prayer and meditation at night are used to review the day just past. Let's take a look at this major effort in the morning. You can use the following simple procedure. One... Read something. Remember, you're in your uh, place at the given time and you're willing to give this thing a real honest try. Get yourself a book and read something. I suggest to you the uh, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions or the uh, uh, big book Alcoholics Anonymous or this uh, out of date publication called the Holy Bible. Read something. I don't mean read chapters and chapters and chapters. I mean just read along until your mind clicks. Uh huh. I'm thinking about that. Okay? Then put the book there. If you already have a thought, you don't even need to read. But I suggest you read. Second thing you do, relax. That's a number. How long has it been since you really relaxed? How many of you are having trouble sleeping? Huh? And relaxing. Let me suggest something to you. Sit down very comfortably in a chair with both your feet on the floor. Some people when they pray prefer to kneel or stand but you just can't hold that position very long and relax. Don't lounge in the chair just sit up kind of straight and relax and let the chair support your weight. Next thing to do breathe deeply. Take some deep breaths. More than anything else feel that breath going in and out. And in and out How long has it been since you didn't pay any attention To how good it feels to exhale And inhale Put your attention on it Feel it Deep down, feel it Okay Focus your mind on your breathing And just how good it feels And that helps to center your mind If you're like me When you sit down and try to think seriously about something you got a thousand thoughts coming through your head Tell you a secret Focus your attention on one thing, like your breathing. And those thoughts go through on base brain, and they don't bother you anymore. By no means fight those thoughts. Let them go. Okay? breathe deeply. Do what you did a while ago. After you're sitting there in your chair and you're breathing deeply and you're concentrating on how good it feels to breathe, and by this time you picked up on your heartbeat and there's a kind of a rhythm going in you, you know? You might even be grinning a little bit by this time. Feels good, really does. Try. Right. Now, what you did a while ago. Now, imagine yourself on a beach, or on a mountain. Pick your favorite spot. And put yourself there. Use your imagination to help you relax. What's your favorite thing? Put yourself there and be doing it. Relax. Now, your body's in harmony, breathing in and out. Focusing your attention on one thing. Now, reflect. On what? That thought you picked out of your reading. you know the word, any of you? Mantra? That's a repetitive saying. You say it over and over and over to yourself. You know? Pick a mantra out of what you've read. Something like the 23rd Psalm. And when you're breathing in, say the Lord is my shepherd And when you're breathing out, say I shall not want The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want Fit it in there Fit it in with your breathing And you're going to find yourself becoming even more relaxed And then reflect on that statement if that's your statement Okay? What does that mean? You know, what does the shepherd do for the sheep? What is the sheep supposed to do for the shepherd? What is the relationship here? Let your mind embrace this thought, this mantra Now, you've centered your attention. You're relaxed. Now think about the day ahead. What do you have to do today? Plan it. Plan it while you're relaxed and quiet and meditating. On my table beside my overstuffed chair, there's a tablet. Because, see, I have brain damage. I can't remember everything I'm supposed to do during the day. So I make a list of things I'm going to do that day and when I'm going to do them. And I usually do this during prayer and meditation because my mind's clear. Plan the day. Now, you've got to know that if you plan your day there's much less danger in trying to do everything at once, Isn't there? Practical. Now, you've planned your day, you've reflected on your relationship to the higher power, you know what you're about for this day. now, things today I don't know exactly how to do this one please grant me some knowledge and power ask him to direct your thinking ask his help ask for inspiration some of us are afraid of that get confused ask after for an inspiration so each morning you read relax reflect request read relax reflect request that's a simple simple method Okay. Now during the day you use prayer and meditation whenever you can or whenever you need to. If there's a break in the day's activities, sit down or stand or go in a closet and repeat your mantra. It relaxed you this morning. It'll relax you now. I'll lay you odds when you practiced it long enough. Instantly. When problems occur, take three or four seconds, thirty seconds pray and meditate. Now, at night, in the big book it says we constructively review our day. That's exactly what it means. In prayer and meditation, we go back over that day. What did we do wrong? Okay? But more importantly, what did we do right? Because this connects the morning and the day and the night. You've asked for God's knowledge and power in the morning. Review it at night. Did it come? I have people come into my office and say, I don't feel anything when I pray. Are you praying for feelings? I ask them. Well, no. Well, what did you pray for this morning? Well, I asked God to take away the compulsion to drink. Have you had a compulsion to drink today? No, I haven't. Your prayer has been answered. <clears throat> We're not praying for feelings. We're praying for knowledge and power to do certain things. And if at night you look back and you've done those things, then by God, there's been some knowledge and power put in your life that day. Test it if you don't believe it. Be awake. Be aware. Realize. Pray for what you want. Expect it and look for it. You never know what came if you don't. There are many benefits to be gained from prayer and meditation, the first one might surprise you. The first benefit of prayer and meditation, the practice of it, is emotional balance. Because if you plan that day, and if you practiced your prayer and meditation during the day, you're going to find that there are less ups and less downs. There are less brainstorms, there are less droughts. Emotional balance. And also, if you really know, like I know, that it's going to be all right, that'll save you a lot of upset. A lot of upset. Other results which come to those who persist in prayer and meditation is that they find strength that's not their own, they find wisdom beyond their usual capacity, and they've increasingly found the peace of mind. Peace of mind, wisdom, strength. You want them? I do. Ask for them. Remember, when you're talking to a higher power, you're not a beggar. You're a relation. After a while, you develop a loving confidence in God. That's what trust is. A loving confidence in God. comes only with practice. You'll become God-conscious. According to the book Alcoholics Anonymous, this was not written by theologians, it was written by alcoholics. Here's what they say. If you persistently practice prayer and meditation, you will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle you. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Common sense becomes uncommon sense. These are alcoholics talking. Isn't is one talking. These things sound good to you Strength wisdom Happiness Peace of mind Security Man That's what God wants for you All you have to do Is request The knowledge Of how to get it And the power To go about it In the final analysis I'll lay this one on you For you to think about It is God Who teaches us How to be sober Thank you.